listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Check, check, check. No, it was terrible. <laughs> it did not, you did not make it work. so bad. That was terrible. That was such a I bad sermon. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Modern Parables. I am your host, Tyler, joined by my stylish co-host, Noah. Thank you. Thank you very much. But only one of my co-hosts today, because we have a special episode of Modern Parables. We have no guest in studio, and Isaac is missing as well. Well, Isaac has been missing a lot, let's be honest here. Hey, Isaac's that wild card that just keeps on giving. He's When you were dealt like a wild card in your hand, you're like, yes, I have scored in life. You that's, know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> then, Absolutely. It's just the most inconsistent thing in the world. You can't count on it. Exactly. But when it happens, it's gold. Yeah, always gold. So Isaac, you're, you're gold. Isaac, if you're listening, you're gold. <laughs> Stay golden, pony boy. Uh, so uh, this special episode of Modern Parables is actually just us rebroadcasting a different podcast uh, called Fresh Text. So uh, Dr. John Drury hosts a podcast called Fresh Text, and we are swapping uh, our hosts. So John will be on next week uh, for Modern Parables, and he has taken Isaac to talk about Matthew Four, I believe. Is that right? Yes. So Isaac preached a sermon about a year ago. It was a senior sermon, and it was on Matthew 4. So he's done some extensive exegetical research, because that's important for any sermon that you ever preach. Do your research. Study, study, study. Because then you can actually understand the illustrations you use in the fullest extent. Exactly. So Isaac has done some research on that, and they're going to sit down and just kind of pick apart Matthew 4, come up with sermon ideas, sermon topics, maybe illustrations. Absolutely. And uh, for those that are not aware of what Fresh Text is, Fresh Text is when uh, Dr. John Drury sits down with a pastor, a scholar, or in this case, an Isaac, and they uh, go <laughs> over <laughs> a text, an Isaac. you know, uh, and they go over a text together. And what the purpose of Fresh Text is to do is to dig into that passage of scripture and create sermon starters uh, basically, they sit down, they talk about the passage, and they come up with ways to create sermon series, sermons based on this passage. And like Noah said, uh, Isaac is going to dig into Matthew 4, which he's done extensive research into. So without further ado, Mm-mm-mm. please, please, please enjoy Fresh Text with Dr. John Drury and our co-host, Isaac Steiner. Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Isaac Steiner. Isaac is uh, one of my students. He's a graduate student now. 
and uh, he was an undergraduate student here not too long ago as well. He is one of the hosts of a podcast called Modern Parables that I'm going to be on soon as well. And uh, we decided, hey, let's let's do a little uh, little, little cross promotion sometime. And a number of my guests and friends have been harassing me for a while. Hey, man, you, you should have your students on. You don't always just have to bring on uh, pastors out in the field or uh, professors who've been studying these texts forever. What about uh, some younger voices that might have a slightly different perspective and their own kind of insights? So I've been dragging my feet on that question for a while. Is that a good idea? Is that not? And then it just, I mean, it just dawned on me, especially when I had this particular text, uh, which I've discussed many times with Isaac, I thought, you know what, let's have Isaac on and, and give that a try. So we're looking at Matthew chapter four, verse one through 11. He, he preached a banger sermon on this last year. He was the preacher of the year award here at Indiana Wesleyan University and now a graduate student here at the university as well. And he just knows the scriptures really well and loves to preach the word of God and brings an energy and an insight that I thought would be really fitting for this week for the uh, first Sunday of Lent this year. So Matthew 4, 1 through 11 is our text. And if you're enjoying the show today, just make sure to press the share button on your podcast player app so you can pass it along to others so they'll find out as well. And if you go to patreon.com slash fresh text, uh, you can find ways there that you can support the show. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Isaac. Awesome. Well, let's do this. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Yeah, uh, go for, for it. Sure. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, uh, for sending your son Jesus uh, to us. And now I'm thanking you for the strange thing that you sent him into the wilderness by your spirit to, to be tested. Surely that is for our sakes. And so we give you thanks for the gift of these events and that they've been handed on to us through your written word inspired by your spirit. And so we ask now that Isaac and I, as we open up the word for one another and for those listening in, that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we might behold the wonders of your instruction, that we might be guided mm. by your spirit to see what you wish us to see. And hear what you wish us to hear for the sake of your people and the world. Hmm. So we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. what do you notice here? What what jumps out at you fresh? <laughs> I know you know the text, and, yeah. But uh, as you read it fresh, mm. what kind of jumps out? Yeah, I think as I was reading this, the thing that just the thing that always has jumped out to me about this one. You can go through all the temptations, but I think the second one is the one that is most interesting. Yeah, at the same time, in a way, scary because it is confusing. Hmm. Uh, is how the devil tempts Jesus in the second one by saying in verse six, if you read, it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. That's not Jesus saying for it is written. That's <laughs> the devil saying for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And if my memory serves me correctly, I believe it. he is quoting like from Psalms, I want to say 91. Yep. If I remember. 91. Yep. Yep. From Psalms 91. But the thing, I mean, like so many I did this when I was younger, point out a context to serve my own purposes and things like that. But the scary <laughs> part to me is Jesus uses scripture to combat the devil in the first temptation. But then it's almost as if the devil comes back and says, since you are a man of scripture, let me now right, use scripture. Talk, you know what I mean? Scripture. So it's like, who understands the word better? And I mean, we understand you challenge the son of God in a battle of his own word. He's going to beat you in it, you know? But this was alarming to me because one I've seen from my own life, when I could pull scripture out of context and use it for my own purposes, whether it was when I was a child, just being funny with my parents or yeah. now and actually like serving things I do that may be wrong. But what was the most concerning is thinking how many times like will the devil twist scripture in our mind to mm-hmm. make us believe something that we're doing is okay or that we should do something. And the question has to be asked is if does the devil know like the Bible, does the devil know the word better than you? And so when he does speak from the scriptures, you think it's truth when it's not, you know? And so I think that was the thing that stuck out to me the most was that the devil can use scripture actually for the reverse purpose of what scripture is actually for, which is kind of who the devil is, right? Using everything that God is and going as the opposite of that, you know, yeah. and mimicking it in a sense. But yeah, it's kind of alarming. Yeah. Well, you, you keep mentioning taking it out of context it is interesting just looking in the context of 91, yeah. just around that. A, a few things. One is the lines before it say, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to follow you. No plague to come near your tent. So this tent and dwelling place, it's kind of saying, you can almost kind of hear this. If Jesus does not make the father his dwelling place, <laughs> then these promises don't apply. Right? Exactly. So, exactly. so for him to to give in to the tempter is actually to so it's like the logic of the passage is not just like, <laughs> hey, anybody who jumps is gonna the get angels you. Will catch you. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then another thing is he misses a line. He quotes the beginning of verse eleven, mm. for he will command his angels concerning you. And then the Satan, the tempter, yeah. accuser, says, and and then jumps to verse twelve. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike again foot against the stone. But he leaves out the second line of verse 11. Now, I don't want to make a mountain out of molehill because there's different textual traditions or whatever, but there is an and there. So in the, in Matthew, so it seems like, you know, the tempter's quoting two separate verses. He leaves out to guard you in all your ways. (laughs) So I wonder, I mean, Matthew knows the scriptures as he's recording this, you know, handing this story down. He's probably not unaware that there's a missing line here that might be even suggesting to us that, yeah, the angels are with me, but they're here to guard me in my ways. And this is not my way right now. Exactly. So it's not to guard me in 
<laughs> what way, whatever way I choose. Mm. And then the best part is verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder, right? The young lion and the serpent, you will trample at the foot. That's him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Satan's, his own downfall is hiding in the verse. He's quoting the, the psalm that talks about his own downfall. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Talk about just like a dude on the path to defeat, you know? But it's <laughs> crucial that Jesus doesn't take the bait mm-hmm. and comes back to Deuteronomy. So is there any significance? In, so all of Jesus' citations come from Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. all three. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have an opinion on this, so we can move on, but. I don't know. Is there something about like, is there something that like in the Psalms that the the devil knows he can manipulate, you know, because hmm. Psalms are so personal. Yeah. Wow. That he's like maybe manipulating the Psalms and yeah. Jesus is coming back to the Torah, coming back to the, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash Down, the Psalms. Down. I'm just saying no. like the clarity of these commands in Deuteronomy is kind of what Jesus is clinging to when he's tempted maybe by, you know, some shortcuts that the Psalms might imply when taken out of context. Is that making sense? Mm-hmm. I guess maybe I answered my yeah. question, but what, what are your but, thoughts about that? Even in our own life, as we think of these different parts of scripture and what they have to say to us. Yeah. I think, I think something about the Psalms, I was actually having a conversation that, that kind of leads into this the other day with Psalms. If you take the whole Psalm and just quote that you can get what it means. You don't necess- necessarily need all the Psalms around it to tell you what the meaning of this Psalm is. Right. Yeah. Cause they, Emerged relatively diff- independently exactly. yeah, and have different functions. And yeah. Knowing the time and when maybe say if David's the writer, when he, when he says these things can help like understand the depth of them. But I agree with, with Psalms, a lot of it has to do with appealing to like our emotions. And like a lot of times we can pray these because we feel the same thing. And many times I think the devil likes to play on our emotions in the situations we are in life to use as a cry or, but the thing about Deuteronomy, other than the fact that, I mean, myself today and other Christians just regard Deuteronomy as something that, you know, doesn't have a lot to give to memorizing scripture when that's the only thing that Jesus quotes. But hmm. is Deuteronomy is like so grounded. I mean, you have a whole story around these things that you can't just pull these things hmm. out of context. You know what I mean? And like these are rooted in the history of Israel and God delivering them and then bringing them into the promise and all these things. Right. But. So far as an opinion on as to maybe why he quoted those opposed from the Psalms, I don't have too much of an opinion on that. I just think it's more emphasis on us that we got to know what the Bible says. And if Jesus is quoting Mm. Deuteronomy, I shouldn't be just looking to New Testament for the truths. Is there all over? It's all in the Bible. It's the whole thing. And so to go back to where it all began relatively, right, with his people and, and the things that God bestowed his laws and rules with them and saying to them for like the first time is something foundational that we use to fight against the devil. Yeah. But I don't know. What what do you think with, with well, all that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think everything you said about the Psalms corresponds with that kind of that. It's nothing against the Psalms. It's precisely their powers. They're so personal. Mm-hmm. So they're maybe a little more susceptible to being twisted. It's nothing against the Psalms, but, but yeah, you just memorize one line out of the spirit of the whole it's going to, you know, it can, you can turn it into some kind of promise rather than more an expression, poetic yeah. expression of what you're begging the father, turning a prayer into a prophecy, you know, yeah. is, is risky. It can be done, but you got to be careful <laughs> with it. Hmm. Whereas the Deuteronomy is this, this is how to live. Right. And, and it just dawned on me as we were talking today that how fitting Deuteronomy is because, so he was just at the Jordan river getting baptized. Right. And then it says he was led up by the spirit into the wilderness. So, you know, likely the wilderness, either 
of Judea or on the other side of the Jordan there in the Transjordan, which just means the other side of Jordan, uh, but or potentially, I suppose, further south into the, the Negev or the Arabian Desert. He, we don't know exactly what desert, but if he if he's you know if he's on the other side of the Jordan, which from John that's where this story, not this story, but the story right before where he gets baptized, that's where it is on the other side of the Jordan. If he's getting baptized there, then he would be like right where. Moses and the Israelites are when Deuteronomy is given because Deuteronomy is not the first time the law is given. It's it's the giving of the law for the second generation is kind of a final speech before they cross the Jordan and do the whole Jericho thing in yeah. Joshua. Right. Hmm. So it just dawned on me that, that Deuteronomy is also kind of fitting the, the location that they're in. They're in the wilderness. Wow. Just before going into Israel, which is kind of what he's now doing in his story. He's in the wilderness, ready to cross the Jordan and be on his mission to Dang. to Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the rest of his career now. So I don't know. I, I don't know how much like conscious thoughts going into that in Jesus part where he's kind of like, you know, well, Deuteronomy, uh, we're kind of reliving that, right? Yeah. But it's, it's a moment where he's, he doesn't just know scripture. He's also fulfilling scripture in this act, right? Kind of reenacting Israel's journey through mm-hmm. the desert, as it were. 40 yeah. days and 40 nights, you know, it's hints pretty, at <laughs> 40 years of wandering, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember as I did some of my study on this and just to point out like the comparison, I mean, the, the parallel to that is just undeniable. And so the whole point of like Jesus going to the wilderness to like succeed and have victory where there was so much defeat for the mm-hmm. Israelites, you know, like that's where the Lord brought them. And as he was taking them through the wilderness, he did so many amazing things, but you see so much rebellion, so much turning from God. And then God bring him back, all these things, right? Doubts and all that. But then Jesus goes there and being tempted in the wilderness, as others were tempted, he succeeds where we fail. And I mean, isn't that the truth about like everything? Everywhere yeah. where we fall short, he is the one who who doesn't fall short and shows that. And so I loved seeing this where Jesus going to the wilderness is so counter, I think, to what people thought he was going to do when being publicly declared like as the Messiah in a sense, like, right. This is his like almost inauguration mm-hmm. of like, right. The dove descending on him and saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with is like, why would he go to the wilderness? <laughs> it seems that, to be the opposite direction. Exactly. Let's go up the hill to Jerusalem and to Jerusalem. Take it back. Let's go there. Let's go take out Rome, the present nation, all these things. Right. And I mean, talking in my classes so much, and we've talked about this and with other people, but the expectation of the Messiah to come and conquer a nation for them and to deliver them from that was so heavy that I can't imagine seeing the one who who I thought was going to do that go to the wilderness where there's nothing but death, you know? And I think where he goes and declares victory, like this is his first, before the cross of declaring victory over the devil, over the enemy, over sin, over the true oppression. And so I think there's a very strategic play by Jesus and symbolic action going to the wilderness. Yeah. Defeating sin, death, and the devil already. Yeah. Out there in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like before the cross. Because we always look mm-hmm. to the cross as like, that's like the pinnacle, right? That's the pinnacle where everything was was changed. But it doesn't stand alone. But it doesn't stand alone. Yeah. It began here, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's so beautiful. But it also kind of makes like, when I think of this, like how much more... I kind of want to use my terms from like today, how much more of like we would say like a savage God is in in a way, not to say thinking of a savage in the past as someone who isn't in society and cast out all that stuff, but 
going straight to the heart of the problem, walking in and just being like, no, you have no power. Like, this is mine. I'm going to take this. Like, I'm bringing them back. It's so, as we say, hard, like to go in yeah. and be cold like that. Like, I'm coming for my people and there's nothing you can do about it. And let me show you what I mean. Try to tempt me on your grounds and you're still going <laughs> to lose. And so like how much more, <laughs> he's just showing his victory over it all, how much greater and how much stronger he is than the devil from the get. And I love that. Yeah. And in keeping with so much of what we see with Jesus as a prophet, as a teacher, as a bearer of the word, or as John would put it, as the word made flesh, <laughs> yeah. that, that he defeats the devil with word, you know, with the word of God, right? Doesn't, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean... The the whole story has this kind of apocalyptic flavor, this encounter with hmm. the devil when you kind of expect Jesus to like pull out a flaming sword and strike yes. him down. But actually it's for as supernatural and mystical as this story is, it's actually pretty down to earth, pretty mundane, mm-hmm. which hints at what you've said a few times where it seems to imply, hey, these are weapons you have at your disposal as well, right? Yeah. You're not, you know, this isn't just some... We're not just spectators of the story of, wow, isn't it cool? So he's defeating, but the defeating is not just for something, us to watch. But, you know, we're invited into mm-hmm. to, to fight in the way that he's taught us to fight. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, it'd be kind of like depressing in a sense to see if Jesus had defeat him in some like supernatural way that in some way that only God could defeat him, right? Now, God is the only one that's going to defeat him. But I'm saying like what you're talking about, point out some spiritual flaming sword and cutting down, casting down the fire, all this stuff. Right. But it is the sword and what we understand. It is the word of God. And I love that. Just seeing it's like, I've defeated him and I've given you the victory. This is how you do it by my word, not by yours. And so it kind of makes like any other way that we fight temptation or fight the devil kind of look stupid. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. If the son of God chose words in scripture to quote scripture mm-hmm. to fight the devil then why would i think anything else would work why do i think my will why do i think my strength why do i think my drive or anything like that could withstand the devil in his temptation when jesus laid it out for us here that the only thing he said it is written and then scripture you know so why would i think anything else would work yeah no commentary no exposition right he just kind of <laughs> lays it out lays it out the only one is the third one. Maybe we'll come back to this when he mm-hmm. says, get out of here, right? He kind of yeah, gives yeah. him his final, all right, I'm done. So, yeah. <laughs> three's enough, you know. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore this some more. Yeah. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Isaac Steiner, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, the famous temptation scene as it appears in Matthew. I'll just read it again so it's fresh in our ears. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was hungry. Duh, right? (laughs) Sorry. And the tempter came And said to him, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become loaves, loaves of bread. Yet he answered, it is written, 
man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil uh, took him along with himself um, up to um, the holy city and stood him upon the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written that he will give his angels charge over you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. Again, the devil took him with himself unto a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and mm. ministered to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm. All right. So on the break, we were talking about where we'd go in this second segment. And you you asked the second time, you'd already brought it up when you first walked in the room before we even had the recording going. Like, what is going on with the spirit sending Jesus to mm. be tempted? Like, what? Yeah. So what, what are some of your, like, even if you just want to, complexify your question a little that's yeah. fine but <laughs> yeah I, I've always wrestled with this and I, I'd say I don't know if I've come to an answer other than knowing like God knows what he's doing and I don't <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. sometimes I have to be okay with that but my question comes from like being led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil that doesn't make too much sense to me because where my mind goes is when Jesus was teaching disciples how to pray huh. within there it says, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, right? Yeah. So don't lead me into temptation. Asking God, please don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from him, right? Yeah. And then seeing here where the spirit is leading him into temptation, you know, obviously he, <laughs> we see it yet and delivered, like, yeah, that's good. But it makes me wonder, like, we're asking for that, you know, but what, what do you do with that? Yeah. If, if that's what Jesus at, teaches us to ask the Lord, ask the Father, hey, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. But then there are times it seems that the Spirit leads us there. Yeah. Or, yeah, because my mind wants to be like, or was the Spirit just leading him to the wilderness to deal with, like, as we talked about before the break, all the stuff that happened with the Israelites within their wilderness, and he's going mm -hmm. to claim victory, where the wilderness has been seen as defeat. Sure. Them, you know? But it makes it pretty clear that the reason that he went there was in part at least to be tempted by the devil. And so that's like where my, my mind goes, but also knowing like we're not going to be void from temptation in this life. James makes it pretty clear that yeah. temptation comes from desire. Desire is not bad, but what you desire, the, the devil will use to tempt you. And if you give into that, it gives to sin and then leads to death. Yeah, I wonder if, I like that you brought up the Lord's Prayer because it actually helps maybe us reflect on that a little in its meaning. Because- hmm. I wonder if like that pair at the end, because sometimes, you know, there are there six petitions in the Lord's Prayer or seven, right? Do we think of mm. those last two as kind of two parts of one? And however you number them, 
the point stands. Like, I wonder if there's, if that could be interpreted given what else we know from scripture as Lord lead us not into temptation, but if you do (laughs) deliver us from the evil one, I don't know. I mean, as I, as I was saying, it works with the grammar, it works with the grammar of this way that it's structured. The others are kind of, you know, give us to stay our daily bread, you know, and even the one right before kind of has a double clause. Forgive us, you know, our trespasses. Yeah, as we forgive the, our trespass against us, kind of saying like, if we don't, we're not claiming like that we have any right to beg for forgiveness if we're not willing to be forgiving people. <laughs> so it may be a possibly a parallel way. You have a, you know, uh, hey, we'd rather not undergo the trial, but we know there are trials. Nevertheless, woe to them who bring the trial, right? And yeah. maybe that's a way to think of that verse as, as sort of a, as a sort of two-parter, you know, maybe. Yeah. I think I actually like what what you were saying about that a lot, because it does make sense. I was like, I was explaining, I, you hear the button as you keep on saying over and over, it seems like, you know, the first one without the second one in the way that you were saying. And we laughed about it, how like, but if you do like deliver us, (laughs) and I think that lines more scripture though, because if you go to the first Corinthians, I believe it is in, and it talks about when I am tempted, you make a way. Yeah. You know, that you make a way for escape. No temptation has overcome me, right? That other people haven't faced, but then saying that you make a way in that. Now, I think something that the Lord's Prayer also teaches us to do is like, we shouldn't be seeking out temptation. Absolutely you know what I mean? Not. That's right. It's yeah. not like put myself in a place of temptation and so that I can build up resilience. I can mm-hmm. obey the Lord in that and say no to it. You know, for example, I've heard friends of mine say they've had problems with like drinking and all this stuff in the past and they still go to parties, but they're like, I don't want to drink anymore. I'm like, you're just sitting in the the lion's den. Like you're just asking (laughs) to be devoured. You know what I mean? Or my dad has always taught me position is greater than intentions. You can have the greatest (laughs) intentions, but if you position yourself in a place where it goes against your intentions, odds are your intentions will fail, you know? And he, and he uses the, the example with somebody who's going to a party and doesn't want to drink. But if you continue to put yourself in a place where you can drink easily. Odds are, it doesn't happen all the time, but odds are you're probably going to drink. Or if you don't want to fall into sexual sin with girlfriend or whoever, but you continue to place yourself in a position where you're laying down on the couch together, like you're just putting yourself in a place for temptation. And so I think the deeper thing is don't go seeking temptation. Yeah, I guess, I mean, it sounds like you're making a case to say, if all of that is true, given, you know, just the wisdom of the ages and of the scriptures, then maybe it's like kind of good news that it opens with a line saying the spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted. Cause it's sort of implying like you don't go there of your own accord. It's not a, it's not a thing you seek out, you mm-hmm. know, but there will be times when it, when it does come when wow. the spirit so leads you again. And it's very mm-hmm. clear. It's not God tempting. It's not the spirit tempting. It's a, this passive verb, but God knows what's going to go down there. And the spirit leads with wow. that, with that knowledge, you know? Hmm. Um, so it's not that, you know, God tempts, but God's, I mean, God's ultimately sovereign over all this. He's not kind of like, whoa, Satan, that came out of nowhere. What's yeah, you doing here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think, I mean, it, it, the parallels with the opening chapter of Job are striking, right? Hmm. Where there's this kind of, okay, I'm going to give you a long leash here. Hmm. Have you considered my son, Jesus? <laughs> right? That's what he said, have you considered my servant, Job? Uh, considered my son Jesus. Hmm. Give him a try. See how that goes. <laughs> I promise you, you're gonna lose that one. But yeah, 
Yeah, I think it. I think it is interesting how you talk about like is appointed by the spirit. The spirit is the one leading mm-hmm. and going there, and so it begs the question in my mind of sometimes when somebody talks to me about the temptation, say that they gave into, and just saying they didn't see a way out. It comes to my mind is like if the spirit didn't lead you there, and you went there, and there's temptation. This is just me spitballing. Like, is he going to provide a way out there? If you're the if you went there on your own accord. But then when, if he leads you there, he obviously is going to give you a way out or else he wouldn't lead you there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just me balancing, trying to wrestle with this in my mind with temptation. Of course, the promise always stands that there's a way out because you always could just have some lines from Deuteronomy ready to go. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Very true. Wouldn't there's no situation where that doesn't apply. But yeah, the the way out may be a little tougher. Tougher, yeah. Um, if it's, uh, I just led myself. I mean, it's, it's even parallel. It's the same exact, not to make a mountain out of molehill with the Greek, but I mean, it's hupo to pneumatos by the spirit and hupo to diablo by the devil. Wow. Right. But the verbs are what's the spirit leading. So Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. So what's the spirit doing here? What, and the right. devil's doing the tempting. Right. So there's a clear differentiation mm-hmm. and yet they're in direct parallel that there are two agencies at work. Wow. This is spirit versus the flesh or, you know, grace versus sin. These are, <laughs> these are competing powers mm-hmm. warring over Jesus, the one we know, you know, and these are the same powers that we face as well, but we can go in with all the more confidence because we've seen him win. Yeah. And he's shown us the way how. He gave us like the blueprint on how to beat the devil at his own game. Yeah. You know, temptation yeah. comes. He's like, say my words. <laughs> if you need to quote these words, because these are like the basic temptations. Yeah. Yeah. Let's walk through those real quick. So the first one would be, so basic temptations. How would you summarize these kind of three? Yeah. In uh, terms of being kind of. We'll have to go through them together because sure. when I did, when I was doing the study, it pointed them out and I went into them, but it, it's super cool. I mean, with the first one, it's just like your basic needs of right with food and supply, but it's like depending on your own needs to provide that. Yeah. And so in this one, you see him, it's, are you going to doubt the good? Exactly. (laughs) Asking for your daily bread Mm. and knowing where it comes from, or are you going to take things into your own hand and just be like, I don't, I doubt the goodness of God to provide for me. So I'm going to provide for myself in knowing that. And that isn't a hard, don't take that as don't go and work and make your wage to pay for and support your family to support your life. But it is in this sense that, if he did this, he was doubting the goodness of God to provide for him to sustain him in this temptation right now. And it was like a shortcut out. Shortcut, yeah. Yeah, use your use your magic, right? Mm-hmm. And uh the second one, then if so if it's that if that first one is, you know, provision or basic needs, right? The second one, what's the second one? How could we kind of characterize that one? Yeah. I think just like maybe talking about it and exactly what, what's going on here may help us discern what temptation necessarily is going on. And I think when it sees that he can't get him to act on his own accord, is trying to get the father involved and to test yeah, yeah, to yeah. test in a sense. And almost to like put yourself in a situation where God has to act and you're like forcing his hand. Seems like to me, I mean, he puts it plain, you shall not put the Lord your God to the, to the mm-hmm. test. Yeah, that's... That's where mine goes with that right now. Yeah. So there's those basic necessities and then trying to kind of tinker and mess with, you know, your relationship to God, the father and mm. what he's going to provide and how he's going to act. 
right? So first, the first is the temptation to act alone, right? The second is to try to get God to act. Yeah. Right. And then the third is just straight. It's just, uh, I'm going head on. Like, hey, yeah. lo- go in league with me. <laughs> he drops all the facade <laughs> no and just says, look, I want you to bow down and worship me. You know, and it's to claim him as, well, to worship Satan, you yeah. know, and you'll have the rest. The odd thing in this temptation to me was like, he's promising everything that like is promised to Jesus, you know, like to have all, to inherit all. He is the king of all, right? Satan doesn't create things. He just distorts, right? Yeah. So, I mean, all three of the goods that are used to tempt here come in due time, mm. right? I mean, he quite literally feeds 5,000 people out in the wilderness, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, this is a shortcut temptation to do what he, in fact, is going to do when the time is right mm. out of compassion and, and out of discernment of what needs wow. to be revealed, right? So, he is going to not turn stones to bread, but he's going to multiply the loaves mm. and then the line of call on angels. I mean, he even makes reference that to Peter when he's going to the cross saying, I have angels I could call on. Right. But the actual, the way that Psalm 91 is going to get fulfilled with me is I'm actually going to go all the way into the death, all the way into the grave and then be raised up. Right. Yeah. So not by avoiding it, but by going through it. Hmm. Right. And then after his resurrection, I'm literally in the last chapter of Matthew, right. He says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, taken away from the devil who had it for a little while. Right. Yeah. So I think you're dead right. These are all, all these temptations are to take shortcuts. Yeah. You know, to doubt who he really is. If you are the son of God, prove it, do it your way in your own power or try to force God's hand. I think they all like up with me. It's like devil knows he's in a losing game and he wants you to fall into the same sin that he fell into right from the beginning. Right. You could put it as simple as doubting who God is not trusting him to provide all, all these things, right? You could break it down however you want to take it, but the devil thinking that he can run things better, thinking that his way is better, you know? And so all these ways are his ways and not the Lord's ways. And you see Jesus choosing the Lord's way. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, Philippians 2 talks about it a lot, but just looking at the obedience of Christ as an example is like all these things that the devil promised to give to him are the things that, the father wants to give to him that he will inherit, but the way he inherits it is different. In this one with the devil, it's through disobedience. The other one is through obedience. One takes longer, one takes yeah, shorter. It goes yeah, back to what yeah. we keep on saying about shortcuts. And somebody said to me once, you know, what's the pace of God? What's the <laughs> pace of his love? And I was like, I don't know how you want me to answer that. And he said, slower than you are, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we want to go like we're in, we're in a world. We love instant gratification. Yeah. I would love that all that stuff is like, why wouldn't I want it now? That's temptation. You could have it now. Why wait? He's like, because the Lord's telling me to wait. There's no other reason. It's the Lord's telling me to wait. It's on his time, not on mine. And so I love seeing that consistent obedience. But then at the end, I love it so much how much it connects to James like four, seven and eight, right? A lot of people quote it and just say, when you resist the devil, the devil will flee. Then after it highlights about how he will come to you and restore you. He will be with you. Or no, no, no. Got it. It says, draw near and he'll draw near to you. Yeah. It's for it. Yeah. You, I mean, he resisted. Devil fleed. He said, go. He had to go. And then ministers came. The angels came. Oh, yeah, my minister to, goodness. Yeah, beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. So good. Well, let's mm. take a quick break and explore some sermon starters when we get back. 
And we're back. Welcome to Fresh Text, or welcome back to Fresh Text, sorry. <laughs> I'm here with my guest, uh, Isaac Steiner, and we're looking at Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And let's explore some sermon starters. Now, we picked this text because in the kind of rhythms of the church year, which some churches follow more than others, no big deal. Um, but just just to be aware, this would be a suggested text for the the first Sunday of Lent. So kind of entering into those 40 days with mm-hmm. Jesus in his suffering, in his temptation, joining him in that trial, maybe even practicing some fasting ourselves. But uh, not that we have to focus on that, but just being aware that that would be, at least for some of our listeners, thinking, okay, this kind of season getting us started. Let's explore some sermon starters with that in mind. Like uh, you know, you've preached on this text before. It's part of why I asked you to to be on. But if you were, especially if you were to preach on it again and weren't just going to use the same old thing, what, what are some new kind of insights or twists or thoughts or illustrations mm. that are kind of coming to mind as we, as we talked today? Hmm. I think it would be okay to mention the, what I did the first, for yeah. the first sermon. Be great. So something that, uh, as I was studying this text, you realize very fast what the meaning of this was. And we've talked about this, right? It's Jesus coming as king and declaring victory. And it starts here. It's not just at the cross. It starts here. And so he's coming to declare victory over sin and oppression from the devil. But so when I was first thinking about this is there's this like divide between us and like the Bible in these times with words and connotation and all these things. And we have things like lingo or whatever that only if you're from this culture in this context, you know. And so when I was giving the sermon, talking to, I mean, college age kids. So referencing to things like that, where if I am to say things like the King, and I'm talking say about basketball, (laughs) many people will know I'm talking about LeBron. If I say the go of a certain sport, someone comes to mind. We understand what the go means. And other people, they just think of the animal. Now, a lot of people here will think of the animal. So obviously there's different understandings of words. If I say Republican, Democrat, so many things come to mind, right? You can talk about businesses, Apple, Samsung, all these things. But the point is, is if if someone from this time in the Bible heard those words, they would not understand them to the full meaning that we do. But the same is true with us to them in their words. And I drew on that about the Messiah and what it meant uh, for yes, them as that. who the Messiah is. And so that word has a lot more connotation, a lot more things drawing on it for these people than it does for us. Because that's say, become like a religious word, Jesus' last name, you know. Exactly. Jesus Christ, Mr. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have a person that comes to mind. Yeah. For them, the understanding of Messiah was a mi- military might that was going to come in and just destroy and lead an, lead an army against the oppressive nation, which is Rome at that time. But he reverses that. And so that's how I started that, right? To pull them in and be like, look, we have words and phrases that only we understand. Anyone else from other cultures or from other time periods won't understand this. And so we need to understand what Messiah meant for them to understand how crazy this passage is and what he's doing. So that's where I, where I started um, with that one. But just some like, <laughs> I think some, some fun ideas about, because you don't ever want to make light, too lighthearted the text here. But at the same time, sometimes bringing lightheartedness to the sermon helps people ease off and under, be able to understand the message a little more. And so I'm thinking of stuff with temptation. And I'm thinking of like my dad always talking about how tempting cookies, how tempting like certain pops are, things like that. And just like maybe running through with temptation ideas through there 
it's a little tough sometimes to think of other ways to start this when you've mm-hmm. when you've preached it like twice with yeah. one start. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's that's mm. the uh, benefit you have being young. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't had to come around and say, "Oh, I got to preach on Christmas again." Yeah, yeah, and you have to come up with a new one. And sometimes new- you can tell when the pastor's a little bored because they're teaching teaching on text they've taught yeah. so many times before. But wow. Making it fresh again is is hmm. challenging. So I'm glad you're going through that experience with me today, man. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought of this right at the end when we were wrapping up, talking about the shortcut thing. Yeah. And I wonder if that could be to really lean on that theme. I mean, even connect it to Messiah, because it's it's not that the the Christians early Christians never came to the conclusion that the Messiah is not going to reign over all the earth. It's just that he's going to do that at his second coming, not at his first, right? <laughs> like it's yeah. still there. So it's about timing. Timing's everything. Timing is hmm. everything. And I was thinking about, I mean, this is, this is cheesy, I'm sure, but I was rewatching some Star Wars movies with my sons. Well, rewatching with my oldest and first time for my youngest. Wow. And there was this fight scene where they, and my youngest like actually said like, is the dark side stronger? <laughs> It was the uh, apologies for the prequel haters, but we were watching episode one and that, and that duel of faith is sweet towards the end, you know, where it's uh, the spiky headed dude, his name I'm forgetting is fighting. Darth Maul? Yeah. Darth Maul's yeah. fighting both Qui-Gon and uh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Wow. And like Darth Maul's like kicking tail. He's really good. And two on one on two and everything. And, and he, he actually asked that, like, is the dark side stronger? And, and I was so glad <laughs> this is an awful example because I'm like, it's like I had, I had, I had the word in my <laughs> hidden in my heart from Yoda in episode five. I'm like, well, Yoda says, <laughs> but Yoda says it's not stronger, but he says, uh, faster, quicker, more seductive, but no, not stronger. And I don't know. I mean, again, cheesy maybe, but also relevant because wow. What is it about? What is tempting about what the devil's doing here? It's in a way, it's not actually the content, the, the gifts that he's offering, right? It's all wow. the timing and the path to get there, right? Wow. It's the it's the bowing and worshiping me. Obviously, there's never a time when that should be right, but he does give in to Satan in his death. I mean, he kind of tricks Satan into kind of, oh, you got me, J.K. You know, right? So I mean, there is a kind of hmm. a losing to Satan in in appearance. Not a bowing, of course. Right? No. But the other two are quite direct. Like literally, yes, the Lord is going to lift me up out from, I am going to fulfill Psalm 91. The whole Psalm, if you read it, it's, this is a promise of resurrection. that's going to happen to me first and for everybody later. And again, with the feeding of the 5,000 and all that, there would be a kind of way to kind of exposit all three in terms of timing. And then think of illustrations in our own life of when, the temptations are often about shortcuts, right? I mean, even, I mean, you even gave, for, for, especially for younger audience, when you mentioned like sexual temptation for a single man or woman, mm-hmm. right? I mean, of course, the whole point is not that this thing is evil. It's the, it's not yet. No shortcuts, right? And I feel like that would apply to so many things. Yeah. You know? the Cook, thing- cookies before dinner versus after. I mean, it's simple yeah. as that, right? But- yeah, I think the thing that keeps coming to mind when you're saying that is there's so many questions. So many people ask the question, all right, would you rather have $1,000 right now or say, and I don't know if this is going to work. I'm trying to remember, but like a penny multiplies every single day for like, say two months or something like that. And now it might be a little more than that or something. So like penny times two, yeah, two, times four, two keeps going. eight, oh, 16. It really it gets, fast. Yeah. Right. 
But the thing is, so many people want to take the thousand dollars right away. But then we're also you, bad math. That's true. <laughs> very true. But the thing is, think about this logically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when we yeah. look at this, it's like you could have everything now, but you're gonna in the end is damnation, is destruction, all these things. That's mm-hmm. what it leads to. It even leads to destruction here now, but you just you just think it's good, right? But what life is 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 it's this longer process, especially now. I remember reading um, in another book about what it looks like for the kingdom of God, how it's a not yet, but already in a sense Mm -hmm. where we, we embody that here, but it's not fully realized. And talking about, you go to Matthew 13 and it talks about all these images, right? The wheat and tares. Mm -hmm. Then you get the mustard seed then you get the leaven and leaven in the bread. Right. Mm -hmm. And just talking about how right now the kingdom of God seems like it's indiscernible. It seems weak. It seems small, but just wait. Because one day it will be the biggest of them all. It will be what is left. It will be the only thing that is like in life eternal with God. But when I was thinking about with this, the temptation is to have it now, as you're talking about shortcuts, is it's tempting to take that thousand dollars right now because you could have it now. But if you wait with the pennies as they multiply, you have so much more. But it's just later and you have to wait. And so that's where my mind was going, going with you a little bit. But the one thing that kind of caught my attention here that is in the beginning and after fasting four days and four nights, he was hungry, you know, mm-hmm. like, duh, he was hungry. I think you could even focus on that of the whole thing of don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry, <laughs> you know, because I mean? you buy things that you shouldn't buy just because you're hungry. You make rash decisions and all these things. But the point is here is he was hungry. The devil isn't stupid. Like if it's just as simple as. You're tired, you're hungry, you're all these things, you're lacking what you physically need, right? Temptations can come in and be so much stronger. And I'm reminded of Esau and Jacob. When Esau, right, had the the birthright, he was the firstborn. But Jacob cooking up the stew, he comes in, he's like, you want some? Because he was hungry, he ate it and gave up everything. Because the bowl of soup seemed more enticing than the birthright that would have lasted the rest of his life and had so much more to promise. But because he was hungry in this moment, he gave up everything for that. And so it's this idea of, I don't know, I was just playing with those ideas of how we make rash decisions. And where are your weak spots? Yeah. And some of those you can shore up. Some of those are just inevitable. So you need to pay attention. Yeah. Where where those weak spots are. Exactly. And you're right. He gets more, the temptations get more supernatural as it moves on. But he starts very mundane. I mean, he asks him to use some magic with the stones. Get some bread. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to notice. Nobody's around. You know, it's not even, I mean, it may have that messianic significance in terms of, you know, the feed, feeding in the, in the wilderness as a very kind of mosaic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it also is just super down to earth and mundane and what he was needing in that very moment. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's really good. There's, a, there's another thing that I was thinking of. I don't know how much of like a sermon starter for this, this sure, would be, but like an illustration when he like quotes scripture, right? But as you said, he didn't, like, it seems like he doesn't complete it. And so it seems like this twist to it. Mm. And so it's, you could mistake it for truth. We play this game in like a uh, youth group and like uh, my high school, like campus life and stuff like that, uh, where it's basically like a Christian club. And <laughs> they put up, you have to they put up pictures of signs outside of churches that say certain things. Right, sure. And you have to tell if it's if this is real or if it's made up or if yeah. it's fake. And some of them, 
they say the most outlandish things and you're like, that has to be fake. But then it's true. But then the thing, there's certain things were like, yeah, it was outlandish and it wasn't true. But then there's certain things were like, I don't know, that could be true. But then it wasn't. And so it's this whole game of like, with that, there's no understanding of if it's true or not. But then with scripture, I don't want it to be a guessing game of, right. is that true or What's not? the counterfeit? It should yep. be even, because there's some things that scripture says, it's like, Jesus said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, <laughs> and pick up the cross. If you don't do this, you aren't worthy of following me. Mm-hmm. I think so many people, if we just put that first part, it's like, that wouldn't be in the Bible. That's Old Testament. <laughs> with the <laughs> blood and flesh and all that stuff. But we need to understand what's, what is truth. Because if we don't, then we're going to be confused and not know what is truth, what is what is wrong, what is false, what is a lie. Yeah, what's really there. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, in many ways, especially for those who are sort of practicing Lent, kind of fast, you know, and hearing a scripture like this, entering into our own 40 days, that line of man does not live by bread alone, which a lot of people just quote that line. But the full line is, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So to kind of say, okay, maybe you've made a commitment to fast in some way from certain things or certain um, actions, certain uh, foods for a season, and that's great. But the whole point of that is that's not an end in itself. Mm. It's to it's to make up room and increase wow. your hunger for the word of God. So to really challenge people to say, mm. maybe this is a time to spend time in the word and maybe spend some time in Deuteronomy because there's a lot of great stuff in there, right? Just like what? You know, read through it and see what's there, you know? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm suddenly re- trying to remember how many chapters is Deuteronomy. I don't know that off the top of my head. Wouldn't 32? that be cool? I don't know. 32? Let's see. I don't, know. I don't remember that's... at all. Oh, close. 34? 34. Dang, close. Well, but I mean, like there's, you know, if you do six days a week in terms of the 40 days. Hmm. Because Lent actually runs about 46, 47 days because you don't fast on Sundays traditionally. So it actually, if you run Ash Wednesday to, to mm. Easter, it's about 46, 47, 46 days because the Sunday's out. So the 40, and then you could take a few out for Saturday. So if you just took the weekdays and read one chapter of Deuteronomy, you could read the whole book of Deuteronomy this Lent. Hey. I just thought of that. <laughs> there you go. That's and, a plan. Take that. John Drury, right? And I mean, it, and it's fitting that, like, I mean, it's interesting. The tempter comes. It, it doesn't actually say that he tempts him for 40 days. So the narrative has him fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. And then at the end, the enemy comes. How long that goes, we don't actually know. But that actually locates it exactly where Deuteronomy is, which is at the end of the 40 years of, of wandering. It wow. just dawned on me like yeah. how precise this fits that fulfillment. Wow. So just like a little challenge to just enter in and and see what Deuteronomy might have to teach us. That would be one way of kind of living into the message that you and I keep coming back to, which is time in scripture is, is the way to shore oneself up oh my for temptation. I mean, the one thing I remember when I came in as a freshman and I had a friend named Colin Barker and he was one of the managers on the basketball team and coach Tana goes over there and he was telling me, cause I was asked questions. I was like, Oh, what's it like? What's the like culture? Like all this stuff being on a different sports team here. And he's like, Donald was like serious about forming strong Christian men, not just about basketball players, strong Christian men. And I was like, no way. That's like super cool. You know, especially with how great of a program and winning and success they have. But then he's like, my first day there, I come in in the morning. He's like, have you eaten yet? Hmm. He goes, yeah, yeah. He's like, what'd you have? 
He goes, eggs on stuff? He's like, no, 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 you didn't understand. Did you eat? <laughs> and he and he's like, I'm talking about the word, the bread that we need from God every day that we live on. And he's like, from that, like, he eats and he makes sure that we're not starving ourselves. And so it's this whole thing of holding each other accountable, of making sure that we aren't starving ourselves. You know, you don't just like go out and run a marathon without training it up and like thinking that you can do all that stuff. It's no, you need to like feed your spirit, feed your soul, like with the Lord, like by spending time with the Lord and his word, praying all these things, or else you're just going to be malnourished. Give us this day our daily bread. And then all the more I can cooperate when he delivers me from each <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's great. Well, thanks so much for being here. This was really fun. I love interpreting scripture with you. And it was really fun to have you on the yeah. show. We're doing a little cross promotion here. I think we're, we're yes, going to we drop this as part of Called Collective. So Called share Collective. a little bit about that channel yeah. and some of its shows. For sure. So I'm part of the Called Collective and it's something that here I will be made in the STM office with the Kern program specifically. And the Call Collective is this resource hub, really. You could go online to see it, callcollective.org, and you could go there. There's a bunch of resources for really the, the main focus is the teens who feel called to ministry. So like myself, that can go there, and you don't have to be in college to see this, but you can go there, sign up. You can get all the podcasts we have. And we're doing, as he said, like a cross one. So John's going to be on one of ours, hopefully. And we got like modern parables, which is kind of what we just did where we're taking topics and giving sermon illustrations, coffee and calling, um, just talking about calling stories. There's deep grace, there's different stories, and there's some new ones that we hope to release soon. But yeah, go check it out because there's so much resource just to help you in ministry, connect you with other people that feel the call to ministry as well so you guys can grow together. So check out that resource. It's callcollective.org. Callcollective.org or any of your podcast player apps. If you type in Called Collective, it'll exactly. pop up the channel and you can subscribe to all of the yep. episode, all the shows at once or just select the ones you want to follow. And It's on Spotify and we're on YouTube as well. Yeah, it's on Apple Podcasts too and a bunch of yeah. others. It's easy to they find. Got, they got so, it all locked yeah. down. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Isaac. I had a great time with you. Thanks to Todd and Eric for our production work. Can't imagine doing this show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to the supporters of the show. If you'd like to become uh, one of our patron saints, go to patreon.com slash fresh and find ways you can support the show there. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. See ya. I did not realize Isaac could be that smart, Tyler. I know. (laughs) Mine blown. Very blown. Very blown. But thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Parables, which was actually an episode of Fresh Text. You can find Fresh Text on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, And uh, we will have Dr. John Drury on next week on Modern Parables. So make sure you tune in for that because he's probably one of the smartest guys you'll ever. Yeah, he... I've got the privilege of having him as a professor and his knowledge is genius level. I Absolutely. I sit in awe as he just just it's just wisdom and knowledge 24/7. Absolutely. And uh fun fact uh for those still on listening to this podcast, kudos to you. Yes, you are a part of the faithful few. Uh Dr. Drury is one of a few modern 
theologians currently featured on a list on Wikipedia of <laughs> most well-known Christian scholars or most well-known Christian theologians yes. or something like yes. that. Something along those lines. Yes. So he is, he has his name right up there with St. Augustine <laughs> and uh, all of those very, very, very well-known theologians in Christianity. So uh, we have a very brilliant guy that'll be on Modern Parables, so you don't want to miss it. So Absolutely. Stay tuned for next week with John Jury. We would also like to take a second to thank the School of Theology and Ministry at Indiana Wesleyan University for using their facilities. We want to thank the Called Collective for producing all of our podcasts. The Called Collective seeks to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To find out more information, visit thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Once again, thank you for stopping by and listening to our crazy sermon illustrations that might actually work. Check back next week for more Modern Parables. <laughs>